If you'll please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians 6. We're going to be reading Ephesians 6, 13 and 14. Please rise as we read Ephesians 6, verses 13 and 14. This is what God says. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. May God bless this very short reading of his word today. Please have a seat. Any good teacher knows that when you're trying to teach abstract ideas, abstract concepts, sometimes it really helps to have an object, an object lesson, to attach that concept to a visible or physical object that you can teach from. It's why Jesus, you, you look through all the Gospels, ever approached the Gospels looking at Jesus as a teacher? It's really fascinating because he uses all these different teaching methods including object lessons. He's forever using like fig trees and mustard seeds and, and all sorts of uh, lamps and all sorts of things as a way to teach these deeper, more profound truths of God. Because sometimes we're just, we're a little out of our depths when suddenly somebody throws a big complex topic at us. We need something visible, something to wrap our heads around. One uh, object lesson I will never forget it was when I was in high school chemistry. And our teacher was trying to get across us this concept that in the periodic table of elements, this is the only thing I ever remember from chemistry, by the way, in the periodic table of elements, that very first column down there is, what, what do they call that, the alkali, alkali metals? And he said, the farther down you go, all these metals will react with water, but the farther down you go, the more violently they react with water. And he said, would you like to see it? And we're like, yes, we would love, we, yes, please, we would like to see explosions in our class that would wake us up. So he started out, he did the top one, and it was barely a fizzle, and the next, next one down was like a bubbling. But when he got to like three or four metals down, there were definite like explosions happening. And he said, I can't go any further than this, otherwise they'll be calling the cops. And I said, that right there was an object lesson I'll never forget, like he took a concept, but then he married it to something physical, something visible I could see. So as a teacher, the Apostle Paul is also thinking of this as he's giving us this abstract concept that to stand up to Satan, you need to put on God's whole full assistance. But that's a concept. How does he take that concept and teach it to you in a meaningful way that you can grasp? And that's why he comes upon this idea of using a visual that everybody in his society knew very well, which was the suit of Roman armor. The Roman Empire, they had soldiers marching everywhere. Everybody had already seen over and over again these Roman soldiers. Paul himself was chained to a Roman soldier for two years while he was in prison. So to, you'd imagine after the course of two years, you would really get to know what this guy over here was wearing. He probably studied that very closely. And even in today's culture, this idea of wearing armor is not so far-fetched. We have a lot of 
modern contemporary examples, right? We have construction hard hats. We have football pads. We have Kevlar vests. We know the concept of armor really well from movies and from magazines and from museums and video games. It's just armor isn't a concept that really has gone out of style. So it's a really wonderful thing that this is the object that Paul uses to teach us how we can stand up to Satan. He says, I don't want to just point out the, the, the part of the armor that you're to wear, but also its function and its purpose. And so he makes all these analogies with the different parts of armor. And that's how we're going to understand how we need to be wearing the full assistance of God, this full suit of armor. And today we're going to look at the first two parts of that armor, which is the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. But before we get into that, we look at verse 13, and we see that Paul kind of suffers what we, we, we encounter this every once in a while in Scripture. I call it repeatitis, where he repeats what he just said. And I often thought when I was a kid, I'd read that, and I'm like, did somebody just fall asleep? Was a needle skipping on the record? What happened here? Why is he repeating? Like, I, I already understood what you just said. Why are you saying it again? And the reason is the same reason why your mom would say the same thing three times in a row, right? To get across to you, this is important. This is important. This is important, because you're not going to hear it the first time. And here he repeats this instruction for us to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand. And he repeats that to underscore this is our duty as a Christian soldier who's showing up to war. Well, what I find really interesting here in verse 13 is this is not just a command. It is a command that we are to put on that armor. But it is also a promise that if we do this, if we put on the full suit, not just a part of it, not just one or two pieces of it, but if we avail ourselves to the full array of God's assistance, that we will be able to stand. That is a promise, a stone-cold promise from God that we will be able to stand firm for Jesus Christ when the days of evil come. I mean, think about it this way. Every time you get into a car, what do you do? What's one of the first things you do other than turn on your music? You buckle your seatbelt, right? Every single time. Hopefully, you buckle your seatbelt. It's the, you know, we got hammered into our heads in, in driving school. You put on your seatbelt. You don't, it's not cool to get in a car and not wear your seatbelt. And you think, well, I, how many car accidents statistically am I going to be in? Statistically, 99.9% .9 of the time, my little drive from here to work or here to school is not going to result in a car crash. But it's that one time, it's that one time that you get into that car crash that somebody hits you in the intersection or you hit the, the concrete and you spin out, whatever. If you're not wearing that seatbelt, bad things happen. So when you wake up in the morning, you need to put on your full armor of God because maybe that's the day you need it. Most days you won't. Most days you absolutely won't. Reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. Here's my nerd credentials here. But Frodo, both Frodo and Bilbo, they had the suit of what's called mithril armor. It's this fictional armor that was very light, but also nearly indestructible. And they would put it on every day. And most days, they never needed that armor. But there's one day out of, you know, however many, out of a hundred, that they were attacked by spear or by arrow. 
and they were always very glad that they were wearing that armor. And this is the concept Paul wants to get onto us. He says, you don't know when you're going to need that armor of God. It might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, it might not be for a year. But the day you need it, better be the day you have put it on. So get used to that. Wake up in the morning and go, these are the things I need to put on in my life. I need to make this a regular daily habit to suit up for war because maybe today's the day I got to go to battle. All right, so enough, enough of that. Let's get into the actual armor. I find it really interesting here what Paul picks to be the very first piece of armor that he talks about. Would not be the piece of armor I would personally think is the most important. It's not the most showy. What does he pick? He picks the belt. The belt. It's not the most showy thing in the world. It's, just, it's a belt. It's a belt of truth. He says that's the very first thing you need to put on. It's the belt. Why is that? Well, consider this. Back in his time, the belt would literally make the difference between life and death on a battlefield, wearing a really good belt. Why is that? Well, I mean, if you look at pictures of the Romans, what did they wear? They, their day-to-day attire were long robes, right? Even soldiers would wear long robes over their armor. It kept them warm, kept them comfortable, but when they went into battle those robes suddenly became a liability. So the very first thing a Roman soldier would do is if he knows he's going into a fight, it would be to cinch up, to gird his loins. You've heard that phrase. This is what it is. To gird your loins is to pull up your robe and tuck it into your belt to make it nice and secure. He would tighten the belt, make sure his sword was nice and firm there at his side, and then he could go into battle. If he didn't do that, and he tried to rush or run into battle, very likely he would trip over his robes. And the very last place you want to be on a battlefield is face down when people are coming at you with long, sharp, pointy things. So you want to secure yourself. Even today, we understand how a good belt secures yourself. My kids have sometimes, we've given them new pairs of pants to wear that are maybe a size or two too big, and if they don't have a belt, suddenly they're walking and their, belt, their pants are right around their ankles. We're like, they're constantly pulling that up. A good belt makes you feel secure. I think you're all very glad that I'm wearing a good belt today in front of you so I can be very secure in my appearance. We understand a good belt makes us secure. So if a good belt makes us feel secure, holds everything in place, What is that belt for us as Christians? And Paul says that belt is truth. It's the unwavering truth of God that makes our life secure in a world where everything else is changing. Everything else changes. So the very first thing you put on is the one thing that absolutely will never change. I think one of the worst places if you wanted to find your security in today's world and your guidance would be to go to the news. Whether you trust one news source, you say that's your one source, or whether you watch a lot of different, read a lot of different news sources, it's overwhelming to me the number of times I see that news changes its mind. It's always changing. Everything the pundits are telling you, the commentators, the politicians, people being interviewed, they're always telling you different stories. They're telling you different ways to live. And so you kind of come out of the news not just feeling depressed, because the news tends to be depressing, 
but also feeling like you don't know what to trust. That at the end of that, you go, well, if I listen to this one guy, I'm going against this other guy. And the next day, this guy might be telling me something completely different. We're addicted to opinionated news, but those opinions change all the time. I'm not saying don't watch the news. You can watch the news, but don't place your security in the news. Don't place your guidance in the news. It's just one example of how we can't trust the world to provide for us a stable foundation for our lives. That's why God breaks through that noise. He breaks through that confusion. He says, here, I am offering you a truth that has not changed since eternity. It is the same truth that the Apostle Paul followed in the year 60 A.D. It's the same truth we can follow here in 2021 A.D. It is an unchanging truth. And really consider how incredible that is. To have one thing that if you understand that one truth, it won't change for the rest of your life. It won't come back to you and say, well, well what's the phrase? I'm a woman. I have a right, reserve the right to change my mind. My mom told me that all the time. She said, mom, you didn't say that. Yesterday you said a different thing. I'm a woman. I reserve that right. God doesn't reserve the right to change his mind. God says, I will never change my mind. My truth is now and forever the same. And if you understand it, you have a life that is completely secure. And you can live with clarity and focus. But we can't live, we can't put on that belt of truth, and we can't live that life of truth unless we are, understand what that truth is. And the only place we understand where that truth is is Scripture. So you need to read the Bible. I know I say this every week for a different reason, but it's always true. We need to read the Bible, and when you've read it, you need to read it some more. You need to become so familiar with it, so familiar with the truth that God is giving to you, that unchanging truth, that you're living and breathing. It's, you've internalized it to a great degree. The greatest preachers of history, people like Martin Luther, John Wesley, you look at their lives and you'll see that they memorized vast portions of Scripture, that they would devote themselves not just to reading Scripture, but to memorizing it, so that at any moment they could avail themselves of the belt of truth, and they could focus and, and found their lives in that truth rather than what everybody else was telling them was truth. So read the Bible. Preach to yourself the truth of Scripture. As you're reading it, going, yes, Justin, this is true. Do you live this in your life? Do you believe this? Do you understand this? Preach to yourself. Don't wait for Sunday morning to roll around. I think we should be doing that. See how constant His law, His promises, His character is throughout all of Scripture. And then understand it's the same today. That Scripture doesn't go out of style. So the, very, the second piece of armor, now that we've got our good secure belt on, we can hook our thumbs through it and swagger a little bit. Now he says, now you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We think now, we think traditionally, what's the image in your mind of a good breastplate? It's probably a medieval soldier's breastplate. A big sheet of metal that's been formed around the torso. But historically, in most, most centuries and most armies, that wasn't the kind of breastplate that they would wear. Most soldiers throughout history would either wear chainmail or they would wear this kind of outfit that was like boiled leather straps that would be overlapping. But the whole idea 
of any type of breastplate was always the same. It was there to blunt and redirect the force of an attack. If somebody's coming at you with a hammer or with a spear or with an arrow and they're going for your heart so that they can drop you right then and there, the breastplate was to take that and deflect it. You see this even in modern armor of tanks. Tanks are not square boxes. That's how they first started to be designed. You go back to World War I when they knew nothing about tank armor, and there were big pillboxes that were moving along. But now today's modern tank is what? It's all angles. So that if it gets hit, it deflects off. That's the idea of a good piece of armor. But our problem is that's not the armor that we grow up wearing. We actually grow up wearing the worst piece of armor ever. And Isaiah talks about that in his 64th chapter. He says, before you were in Christ, this is the armor you're wearing. He says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and every righteous deed in your life is like a polluted garment. What he's saying here, he says, the absolute best things you're doing all by yourself, on your own, these good deeds you're holding up to the world, saying, I'm a basically good person. He says, they're as protective as brittle and rusted metal. If I'm going into battle and I look down and my armor is full of holes and it is rusted and I know that if I cough wrong, it's going to fall apart, never mind if somebody hits me, I'm not going to feel secure. If that's the kind of armor we're trying to move through life with, our own good deeds, then it's going to fall apart the second we're attacked and Satan will attack you. It's like when we look back at the Iraq war. Do you remember back in the early 2000s when we sent troops over there? And they realized very quickly that their Humvees especially were not well protected enough for the bombs and the bullets that they were encountering every day. And so the soldiers kept going back to the government. And they would say, please, we need you to provide us with better armor. What they called up armor. This became a term. Up, we need to up-armor our vehicles. The soldiers, they started soldering pieces of metal, anything that they could get, onto the sides of their vehicles to protect them because their armor was not good enough. And that's what Isaiah really wanted to get across to us. Your good deeds cannot be your armor. Your good deeds are not enough to go in front of Satan and say, look how good I am. Remember, Peter tried doing that. And how did that work out? Isaiah says, if you try to do that, you'll fail. But he also gives us a, a place to go for much better armor. He says this, he says, when God goes into battle, Isaiah writes that God puts on his righteousness as a breastplate. He puts on his own righteousness as a breastplate. And then we get this mental image of God, the fearsome almighty God, wading into battle, and that is his protection his own righteousness, his righteousness, his good deeds that are perfect and pure in a way that ours are not. So I figure this, and tell me if I'm wrong, if it's good enough for God, it should be good enough for me. And that's the great thing. God is more than pleased to help us take off our faulty armor, to take off our soiled rags, whatever we think is good enough to go through the world. He says instead, let, let me dress you. Let me put on my righteousness onto you like my breastplate so that you are firmly armored. In Philippians 3, Paul talks about this. He's like, he's amazed that God does this for him. He says, I have gained a righteousness in this life 
that hasn't come because I perfectly followed the law. And this is Paul again, a Pharisee who spent his entire life trying to follow every tiny little jot of the law. He tried to have as many good deeds in his life. And he realized that was nothing. That that was not a good suit of armor to go through life. He says, I have gained this righteousness that comes from God, from the basis of faith. He says, because I have had faith in God, God has given me his righteousness. I'm throwing out mine. I'm throwing out Paul's righteousness. Now I have something way better. I have God's righteousness. And that's true for us. If you have faith in Jesus, Jesus puts his righteousness on you. That is the breastplate you are wearing today. Now, I know we all love and have memorized the book of Zechariah, right? Have you ever opened the book of Zechariah? Who's read the book of Zechariah? Okay. This week, I want you to read Zechariah 3 because there is one of the coolest stories in there that you may have never written. Zechariah the prophet, he's been given this vision. It is so cool. In this vision, he sees Joshua. Joshua, Joshua. And Joshua is standing in front of God, in front of the court of God, representing not just himself, but all of Israel. And so he's standing there, and Satan is standing next to him, and Satan is the prosecution. He's attacking Joshua. He's trying to say, God, this is the kind of person who follows you. Look how sinful they are. And it says here in verse 3, in Zechariah 3.3, says, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes. And so Joshua, representing all of Israel and himself, is standing there, and his clothes are stained, black, sticky, mucky, disgusting with the sins of all the people. And Satan, Satan thinks he's got him. Satan thinks, I've got you exactly where I want you. He's like, God, you can't let this person into heaven. This person needs to be dragged down to hell with me. Look how sinful they are. Look at what they're wearing. Their, their evidence, it's, it's plain to see. But then, standing on the other side of Joshua is Jesus. And it's right there in Zechariah 3. We see Jesus who's standing there. He turns, he doesn't answer Satan. He turns to Joshua and he says this, Take off your filthy clothes. See, I have taken away your sin, and now I will put fine garments on you. This is not a new concept Paul is trying to teach us. This is as old as the New Testament. That God, Jesus is taking away our sins. He's taking away our so-called good deeds. And in replace, he's putting on fine garments. He's putting on this breastplate of righteousness. And having Jesus' righteousness in our life means so much more than God going with us. It means that now we are able to act rightly in a way that we weren't able to before. Jesus was able to act purely righteously in his life. That's how he can now take that righteousness and imbue it to us. But because we have his righteousness, now we can, our good deeds actually matter because our good deeds are able to please God in a way that they weren't before. And that's incredible. Of course, we may hesitate at this point to give up our control. We may hesitate because we say we're basically good people. We like doing things on our own. It's really scary to suddenly have to depend on God for his righteousness instead of my own. I'd rather earn my own way. We're Americans, darn it. We're individualistic. We're able to go on our own power. 
And God says, nope, you're not. Not at all. You need to depend on me. You need to depend on my armor. You need to put it on, and only then can you do the good things that I've created for you to do. We are trading dependence on ourselves for dependence on God, and that is initially very scary. It's very hard for us to do. We don't like to depend on other people. It makes us feel weak. Well, we are weak, so we might as well be strong at the same time. But you know what happens next after you get over your fear? Wearing that breastplate of Jesus' perfect righteousness is comforting and it is empowering. I was thinking of that today. I thought, I woke up this morning. I'm not wearing the breastplate of Justin's good deeds. I'm not wearing the filthy rags of my old sin. I woke up today and I looked down and I'm wearing Jesus Christ's righteousness on me. And that way I can wake up and I can get out of bed and I can go live for Jesus today. And nothing can hurt this. Because if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me. It's so empowering. If Jesus could live in a way that pleased God, if God could look at the righteousness of Jesus and say, this is my son, whom I am well pleased, because you are wearing his righteousness, he can now look at you and say, this is my son, this is my daughter. I am well pleased with them too. He's well pleased with you. So let's start to get dressed for battle this week. Just start by securing our life with the truth of God's word, getting into the word, and by putting on Christ's righteousness and living a righteous life, living a right life every day. It's a good start to our suit of armor, but as we're going to see, there's still a lot more to come. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need that truth, we need that righteousness in our life. I think when we look, we sometimes take it for granted that we seem like we always had this, but if we really think about it, there are times in our life where we just didn't. We didn't have your unchanging truth. We didn't found our lives, revolve our lives around an unchanging, perfect truth. We didn't have your righteousness covering us up. Lord, we just listened to whatever the popular wisdom was of the day. We depended on our own good deeds, and it wasn't enough. But now, Lord, you have given us this truth. You have given us these two wonderful pieces of armor that we can equip ourselves so that when Satan comes after us and says, look at their sin, Lord, you will look at us and you will see Christ's righteousness instead and say, I have taken away their sin and I've put on beautiful garments. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for blessing us so much. In your name, amen.